if you have a Bible with you, uh, please turn to um, Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. I'd like to welcome all of you that may be joining us from around the world on our media platforms, perhaps our website or Facebook. It's great to have you with us here this evening. I have tonight what I hope is a prophetic call to many people. And uh, the prophetic call is uh, found in the title of my message today, which is called Higher Ground. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, within that verse itself is probably everything that the Holy Spirit, I believe, wants to speak to us. And those of you with ears to hear would be uh, probably immediately able to begin to apply it to your life. I'm going to read Mark 3.13 and then I'm going to read it again in context. Mark 3.13. And Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted and they came to him. Let's pause there. When I read this a few days ago, it really hit me. I'd never really seen it before. Here in this New American Standard Version, Jesus goes up on the mountain and he summons. He's calling people to him, to this mountain experience. But he's not calling everybody. And that's what really hit me when I read it. It says, he summoned those whom he himself wanted. It was a personal invitation. Well, it was stronger than a personal invitation because it was a summoning, a calling. And those individuals that he summoned, those who he himself wanted, they came to him. So I'm going to read this, go on a little bit here, because I just wanted to pause on that verse, because that's the major rhema verse of this evening. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So here in this passage, Jesus is calling, not everybody, but those who he himself wanted, he summons them to leave the crowd, and I'll talk about that in a moment, and to come up with him on a mountain away from the society that they had just been in. It was an invitation, it was a summoning, and on that mountain, he did choose his 12 out of those, there was more than 12. He gave them authority. Authority to do what? To go back down the mountain when the time was right and do the same things that he had been doing himself before he summoned those that he wanted to come to the mountain with him. What do I mean? Well, we have to see the context here. I don't want to get too much into it, but if you look at the, the whole of chapter 3, uh, leading up to verse 13, we see that Jesus is moving in incredible spiritual authority and revival power. The beginning of chapter 3, he heals a man with a withered hand in front of the Pharisees. He says, is it good to do harm on the Sabbath or to, or to bring life? And then he says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to him. Immediately the Pharisees began to conspire with the Herodians how to destroy him. 
Then he withdraws to the sea with his disciples. But a great multitude, thousands upon thousands from Galilee, follow him. And not just from Galilee, in verse 7, but also Judea. Not just Judea, but from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from beyond Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. He had to get out in a boat because they were crowding him so much. He had healed so many. And the result was that all who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, he didn't have to speak to them. They just manifested and they'd fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. And so what was going on down at the bottom of the uh, mountain was full-blown revival. I mean, it was all kicking off spiritually. I mean, people were being healed. Thousands from so many different places were gathering and following because of the great power and the astonishing teaching that was coming from his mouth. And miracle upon miracle upon miracle was taking place. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, hated it. And the work of the Spirit that was blessing so many people was also provoking the fleshly religious arrogance of the Pharisees who wished that they had that type of authority. And so imagine for, the mo for a moment all these thousands upon thousands of people traveling from all over the place. Imagine left, right, and center, people getting healed, the commotion, as, as you, you see these great crowds. And in the middle somewhere, there's Jesus, and the disciples are trying to just give him a little bit of room to breathe. But people just want to touch him. Just want to, and while that's taking place, demons are screaming out. We know who you are. You're the Son of God. I mean, the incredible revival commotion that was taking place there. I mean, you'd have thought with all that crowds and all that power and all that preaching and everything that's going on, you'd have thought the last thing that Jesus would have done would have left that busy revival scene. But that's what we read that he did. He, he tells the demons to be quiet, and then he went up on a mountain but not with everybody. All those thousands of thousands of people that he loved and that he blessed and that he healed, they were not invited up this mountain. In fact, he summoned, it's a forceful word in the Greek, he summoned those that he himself wanted and they came to him. Isn't that wonderful? Out of the thousands and thousands of people, there were hand-picked, men and women, that Jesus said it's time for a moment to withdraw from these thousands and thousands of people. In fact, I'm summoning you to come with me. I wonder what that was like and how they, how they did it. Did, did he call them by name during this time or, 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 or he hadn't yet appointed his 12, but, but he must have summoned them, maybe summoned them by the Spirit and they heard his call. Or maybe he said, come you, 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 you come with me up this mountain. Who knows how it happened? But it's interesting that he summoned not everybody. I'm sure the whole of the crowd would have liked to be invited, but they weren't invited. This is because many are called, but few are chosen. And even on the mountain, 
fewer were chosen to be the 12. He'd have his 70s and, and, and everything. Be, and, and this was because Jesus wanted to release his authority. I mean, how could he cope with all of these thousands and thousands of people? All of them trying to just touch him. It was impossible. It was a riot. I'm sure he had to heal as many people that got injured in the crowd, pressing towards him, uh, as came sick. And so he realized that he needed to multiply his ministry, but not indiscriminately. He would do the choosing, he would do the calling, and he would take them away for impartation, but not down in the valley. He didn't hire some school hall or hire some synagogue for this leadership or calling meeting. He took them high up on a mountain. And the result of this meeting of those that he called on a higher mountain was the release of authority so that when he went down the mountain, there would be others who also had authority to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and do miracles. So those that were specifically chosen out of the crowd, they were chosen ultimately to go back down and serve the crowd. So nobody could say, oh, look, I, I'm very, very special. I'm one who's been summoned by the master for this mountaintop conference by invitation only. I'm, I'm far better than any of the others. Well, that wasn't the case. Maybe that's why Jesus picked these, handpicked these, because he was going to take them up so that they could go down and join him in serving. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so I want to think a little bit with you about what happened on this mountain. The fact that they left this dense, crowded, populated noisy, peopled atmosphere of the valley, which would be finding it very hard to cope with the thousands and thousands of people there. The villages would be running out of food. The Tesco's Express would be empty, you know? You know when they, they warn that there's going to be a bread shortage or, or the lorries are on strike and you go down to your Tesco's Express or whatever you go to and you walk in and there's nothing there? Nothing there, because everybody's made a... Well, think of that. that. That's what was going down in the busy revival atmosphere. But as they came up the mountain step by step, every step they took on this mountain journey to where Jesus had summoned them, it got a little bit quieter. The crowds got a little bit smaller until they looked like ants. And then they found themselves in a place very much alone with Jesus. This wasn't hundreds and hundreds of people. It was an intimate gathering. You wouldn't have to fight through the crowds. You, you, could, you could relate to what the Lord was saying. It was personal, a rarefied atmosphere on the mountain. I've just come back from holiday just on the German-Austrian border where there was a lot of, of mountainous regions and so myself and my wife spent time walking and sometimes she'd stay in the market city and I'd go up myself. And one of the things that I would do is down, down at the bottom of the, uh, of, of, of the market town, there is a cable car and you can get on that cable car and it takes you quite high up one of the mountains and then you can go walking up there. 
And the strange thing about going on, on this cable car is it's very, very quiet. I mean, when you get on it, you can hear the engine, engine room where it starts off. But after a very few seconds, uh, everything begins to quiet. The road down there begins to be quieter, and you go up through the forests, and it gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And you can look uh, down to where the town is, and it gets smaller and smaller in your sight, and the noise gets quieter and quieter until you get to a place where it, it, it is just so quiet. So quiet. Got to a place, and I looked down, and I saw uh, a young deer that was just walking around, not even frightened by the cable car, because it was, it was so quiet. And then you get off the cable car, and then you begin to do a walk, and you're looking down into this incredible valley where you know the big town is there, the cars and the noise, but you're in a totally different atmosphere with a totally different perspective. You had, a few minutes before, been in the midst of that busyness of people and cars and noise, but now you're in a different place. You're up on a mountain, and it was a totally different atmosphere of quiet. You can look down and see where you were, but you're no longer among the noise. I think that's what it, what it must have been like. That's why Jesus didn't take them to a town hall. He took them up on a mountain because he wanted to bring them in a totally different environment so that he could impart uh, authority, personal relationship, and... Uh, uh, and his choice upon them so that he could then send them down, this time different, with authority and power like he had been, de been demonstrated. I thought about the phrase rarefied atmosphere, and it's a phrase we use, the rarefied atmosphere of the hills, and, and so I looked up what the word rarefied means, and it simply means to make less dense, or rarefied means to become Thinned. So, you know when you go up a mountain, if you go high enough, the air becomes thinner. There's less oxygen there. The air is, is thinner. Rarefied can also mean to make more refined or to, to make spiritual or, or exalted. In other words, is this sort of like elevation. Rarefied means some sort of elevation, whether it's a physical elevation up in the thin air of a mountain or whether it's a... Uh, an elevation from the common that's going on around you. So people talk about the rarefied halls of scholarly debate, the idea that there are scholars out there uh, in their scholarly environments and they're not involved in the daily mess of life. They've been set apart to do their scholarly work and it's rarefied because it's exalted, it's refined, it's focused. And so Jesus brought them into this rarefied atmosphere that was exalted, where he could refine them uh, in this different altitude. He chose the physical altitude of height because he wanted to take them to a new spiritual altitude. And that's what I believe that the Holy Spirit is, is doing in these days. He's calling, not everybody, but some to higher levels of spiritual altitude, to new levels of rarefied experience, personal experience with Jesus, so that he can equip them and anoint them 
to go back down and spread the blessing to those that are around them. You know, the, the Celts, the Celtic church, the ancient Celtic church, they used to talk about different places that would become holy to them. Not that they were necessarily religious or superstitious, but places where they would meet with God. They would become holy places. They would revisit them. They would remember uh, the, the experiences they had with God, a little bit like in the Old Testament. Do you know in the Old Testament, whenever they met with God, they usually built an altar, didn't they? Or they called it a place, I'll call this place Bethel. Why? Because it's the house of God. I'll call this place Shiloh. Why? Because uh, I met with, 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 the, with the king of peace. I'll call this place this. I'll... So they called thing places. They put up altars. And part of that was so that they would know and could revisit where they met with God. Some of us have met with God very powerfully in times past. Let me prophesy to you. Those visitations are returning to you. And some of you, some of you, not all of you, in the, but some of you will return to the place of visitation. It might mean that you're led to go back to that place. I don't know what that means. But, but not, it'll not just, some of you will go back to the physical locate, location and receive something fresh. Others of you, it's more of a sp spiritual revisiting of the location where you met with God. And so the Old Testament would set up these things so that they could revisit and remember. But also they set up these holy places in the Old Testament so the children and the grandchildren could go and find out where grandma or granddad had that great powerful experience that they spoke about. So the Celts weren't totally out of order when they called certain places where the God manifested himself. They called these places thin places. Thin places places, meaning that this place, wherever they met with God or where God was doing a great work, was a place in time whose space between heaven and earth had grown thin. In other words, the veil that separates the invisible from the uh, visible was growing thinner and thinner and thinner. You know, Jesus spoke like this. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, what Jesus was saying, hey, here I am and I've brought an anointing, the kingdom of heaven is not far away anymore. Reach out. There it is. And so these thin places, some of these were powerful sending centers like the island of Iona, were places where God met with people and you would go there. And there were places where people were praying and seeking the Lord and, and you would sense the atmosphere was different. It was a thin atmosphere. God was closer. The powers of heaven were closer. Angelic visitation was closer. Have you ever been in a thin place? I'm not speaking a lot. Have you ever been in a place where God suddenly comes close? Where all your spiritual antennas, if I can use that phrase, are like waggling around going beep, 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 beep. Or where your heart is fluttering. Or where faith is arising. And all of a sudden, things of the earth dim. And all of a sudden, things of heaven get very acute, very focused. And, and God comes alive. All things are suddenly possible where they weren't before. There's a sense. These thin places are what the Celts talk about. And so Jesus was taking them to a thin place. He was taking them out of the valley, which was a great place. 
miracles, signs and wonders, healings, political backlash. I mean, it was so exciting down in the valley. He took them to a place that wasn't exciting. It was a different place altogether. God is calling many of us up the mountain to meet with Jesus, away from the noise and the crowd and the bustle and the busyness and everything that, 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 that grabs our attention, to spend time with Jesus so that we can come back into the same business but different, carrying an anointing. You know, in these days and these days that are coming, words mean nothing. Anointing means everything. You know, you could preach for an hour and not change anybody's life, but with an anointing, you could just go up to someone in the street and say, God loves you and their life will be changed forever. That's why God is calling many of his people, not everybody, but choice vessels. You say, oh, what if I'm not one? If you're worried about it, you probably are one of them. Because if you're worried about it, it means there's something going on, which is a desire, which is a summoning of the Lord to come up into a rarefied mountain experience with him and to seek him. Uh, the people that aren't bothered, the people that forget sermons like this within a week, the, those, those, well, you, you won't be bothered anyway. Let those with spiritual ears hear. But those that don't hear the call to the mountain place, they're not going to be bothered about it anyway. But those that do hear the call, they're going to go get an anointing, have a transformation, and then they're going to go down to be a blessing and spread the blessing. So either way, everyone's going to get blessed. You know, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, if I can continue this theme. Revelation 4, verse 1. After, this is John speaking. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking said to me come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. You see, John had already had a revelation on earth. It had Jesus appeared to him. He was already moving in the prophetic, but God was calling him to a higher prophetic perspective, a higher experience of God. He was calling him away from his earthly experience to a higher heavenly perspective so that he could come back down to earth having heard from heaven with a fresh word from heaven, a fresh vision from heaven. God was saying, come out of your normal valley environment and come up on this mountain. And in that picture, it was a door. He was called higher to a new dimension of revelation experience. To walk through a door into a new higher plane of spirituality, a deeper dimension of the Spirit of God. God is calling us into deeper dimensions and experience of the Spirit of God. You see, what does it mean to be on a mountain? What does it mean for John to go through a door to a higher level, a higher ground? Well, John explains, he says, uh, the, the Lord says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things immediately, 
I was in the Spirit. You see, that's what it would mean to go up on a mountain with Jesus today. It means to be in the Spirit. John, he said, oh, there was this door, it was amazing. I was told to come up higher to higher ground. Jesus called his people up to higher ground. God is calling you to higher ground. Why? What is this? It's an experience and an increasing of experience of being in the Spirit. How many of you know that you can be in a dungeon prison and on the mountaintop with the Lord at the same time? You only have to read the book of Acts. Times they were in prison and they were in the Spirit, singing songs, praising the Lord, angels visiting. In the prison, it wasn't necessarily a physical location. It was in the Spirit. God is going to baptize his people in spirit. You say, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. What, you speak in other tongues? Yeah, so what? God is going to re-baptize many people in spirit. You're going to get plunged into experiences of God's spirit and God's word, plunged into fresh anointings of authority. God's going to do it. God's promised to do it. Now, when we talk about this, when we talk about being in a, in a mountaintop experience, we're talking about God's elevator. I took a cable car because, well, the thing is, in Germany and Austria, I noticed most of the Germans and Austrians, they walk up the mountains. We get a cable car and walk down the mountain. That's because they've got stronger legs than us. And this thing about getting used to a higher plane, I want to talk about that. You see, how do we ascend to new levels and to higher spiritual ground in our lives? How do we move out in times of prayer and seeking God from the busyness of the crowded earth around us? And I'm not just talking about bad crowd, I'm talking about daily life, daily ministry, daily work. How do we ascend the mountain of the Lord. Well, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That's 1 Peter 5, verse 5 to 6. There's a sense of humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. Why not just God's hand? Because sometimes God's hand is strong and mighty upon you. Sometimes circumstances can be God's mighty hand on you to bring you to a place where you will be crushed to produce the anointing that he wants you to move in. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility is absolutely essential in order to go to higher ground to receive a more powerful enabling and anointing so that you can come back down, if you like, to earth and do what God has called you to do in every sphere of life. We all need the anointing of God. Doctors and nurses, you need the anointing of God right where you are to do what God's called you to do. It doesn't matter what work we do, what situation you're in. Parents, you need an anointing for your kids. It doesn't matter what you do. You need more of the Holy Spirit. 
More of the Holy Spirit in your workplace. More of the Holy Spirit in your finances. More of your Holy Spirit in your prayer life. More of the Holy Spirit in your worship life. More of your Holy Spirit in the workplace. More of the Holy Spirit in the cell place. More of the Holy Spirit. More of the Holy Spirit. A greater anointing. Jesus took those people up with him to give them an imparted Holy Ghost anointing so that they could go down and uh, multiply the ministry of Christ. I want to read to you, while speaking about humility is the key to receiving a fresh anointing. I've given you those verses about how humility, humble before God and humble before man, how that elevates you to levels where you can be used with more anointing. I want to give you a big illustration of this. There wasn't much, there wasn't many more anointed than Paul, was there? I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 following from the New Living Translation. 2 Corinthians 12. Now, Paul is dealing with puffed up preachers and so-called apostles that believed they had an anointing and a a revelation from God. They were the super apostles. They they were courting fame and, and they were using their words to try and get a crowd. And they they were boasting, but they had no ground to their boasting. And Paul says this about himself, as he says, hey, you want to know what the marks of a true apostle? And he talks about it. And here, "This this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they can't be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to, be t- to tell. That experience is worth boasting about but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from being proud... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Unbelievable what Paul has just said. Because he could have built a ministry on the sort of revelations that he had. The sort of angelic visitation. The the going to third heaven. Hearing things he couldn't even put into words. That's how powerful his mountain visitations was. But he had learned that everything he had received 
was to serve other people. And that even though he had the most incredible, astonishing mountaintop experiences, those, were, those experiences weren't to puff himself up to call a conference and get 10,000 people to hear about his experience with an angel or his trip to heaven. That was not Paul's way. I'm not saying that you can't, uh, uh, if the Lord gives you permission, share such things. But that was not Paul's heart. In fact, he was so anointed, had such powerful experiences with God, that God had to send a thorn in his life. Imagine that. He says, I would have become proud. I was so filled with power, so filled with anointing, saw so many things, had such powerful spiritual experience. Even I, Paul, a servant of God, a, a servant, a slave, even with my pedigree of discipleship, God had to send a thorn. And it was such a powerful thorn, and it hurt. Now, what that thorn was doesn't matter tonight whether it was the persecution or a sickness, it doesn't matter tonight. It was a thorn that he didn't want to have. It was a thorn that kept him weak. It was a thorn. You know, this is the thing. You know, have you ever had a powerful, supernatural experience and found it difficult to come back down to earth? Found it difficult to do the daily chores? Found it difficult to get the hoover out and hoover... I mean, I'm serious. Sometimes you can have a powerful experience with God. I remember I went on a weekend, uh, we'd call it an encounter, at university. And I had a powerful experience with God. And when I came back, I came back the morning that they'd all been out having a big university or college ball. And so they were all like, I opened my room and they were all in my room, in their ball gowns and dresses. Uh, and suits, they were all, they hadn't gone to bed, and I'd just come back from my encounter, and um, I didn't handle it very well, I told them all to get up and leave, yeah, it was, <laughs> but that was because I'd had such a powerful encounter, and it was like, what is this, you see, well, this is the problem, it, it seems that often that someone gets slightly anointed, and all of a sudden, they, they think far higher of themselves than they are, in fact, it seems through experience of decades of, of ministry that some people don't even get an anointing and they think far higher than they are. So if God is going to start sending anointings, if he's going to start calling us, we better get ready. We better find out what true humility is. We better get ready for some thorns coming our way so that God can use it. And what a wonderful phrase that Paul, that in this New Living Translation, verse 8. Let's put it up again, Michelle. Verse 8. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My power works best. It's like, Paul, I can't take it away from you, son. I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. I know, I, I, I know you feel it's debilitating and, and obstruction, but I can't take it away from you, son, because my power works even greater through your hardships, your difficulties, your disability, whatever it might be, your problems. The very things that in life that you think, God, take them away. Why do I have to go through this in my life? Why, why can't this be taken away? Well, sometimes God will deliver you, but he won't deliver you from something that will empower you. I'm going to say that again. He won't deliver you from something that is sent to empower you. These thorns... We're a blessing. 
I think there's some people under the sound of my voice tonight, and you've got some thorns. I'm not talking about things that you need to be delivered from. God will deliver you. God, God's in the healing. He was delivering people down on the, uh, in the valley from sicknesses, demonic problems, provision was coming. I'm not talking about those things, but there's those that might be here. What the Spirit of God is saying to you, that there are certain thorns that come into your life to empower you. You know, when I was up on that mountain, I remember three years ago, I went up very high with my son, Jake. Now, he's a hiker. He can hike. We went really, really high on a really, really high cable car. And uh, we got off it, and then there was, it was so high, but it was so high, but there was a lovely valley that was so high, and there were lovely cows, and everything. it was so high, though. And we went in, I said, this is lovely, Jake. And we sort of walked down from the cable car into this very high valley. And then it was time to go back up. And those who were going, oh, I was finding it really difficult. I, I, and he said, and I had to stop every few steps. And he's saying, what's the matter, Dad? I said, I just can't, I just can't, I'm breathing, Jake, but I'm not getting the energy I need. I have to stop and keep, it was the rarefied air. And so it was difficult because the air was thin. It was rarefied. And uh, I wasn't used to being at that type of level in the mountains. And now, th this is a lesson because down there in the valley, I could walk around. I wasn't out of path. I could, you know, walk, swim, or walking around thinking, ah, this is great, this is great, I'm fit, I'm strong, well, relatively fit and strong, I'm not out of breath, everything's fine for me. But take me up to that mountain, higher ground, now, now I feel weak. Now I don't have the strength that I had when I was down in the valley. Are you listening to me? When you get up there with God, your weaknesses are going to be exposed. When you get up there with God and start seeking his face and asking him to do his work with you and seek him for anointing, you're going to start to feel weak if it's a genuine encounter that you're seeking with the Lord. You're going to say, why don't I feel strong like I used to feel? Why don't I feel full of power, God's man of power for the hour? How come I don't feel like that anymore? How come I feel stripped away? How come I feel that I, I am powerless? Like I was up there, Jake, you're going to have to wait a second, son. I just can't get the oxygen in. I just, down there, it's fine, but up here, it's different. But you know what? If you stay up there long, long enough, you adapt. Your lungs adapt. Your blood cells even adapt. And then when you come down, down there, you've got a spring in your step that you got up on the mountain. So we need to be aware of how this works. Paul was aware how it worked. Everybody wants an anointing, but they're not, they don't realize what has to come with it. These people went on the mountain and they came back down as a close tonight. God's power works best in weakness. That weakness is exposed at higher ground. God is calling, not just calling, that's the wrong word. God is choosing. And you that are hearing by the Spirit, know that it's you. You that are worried it's not you, it's probably you, because you're worried God is stirring you to say, I want this. You that forget this sermon in a day, well, you won't be bothered anyway. That's the way God works, you know. That's the way God works. And so if you're not bothered about this in three days, don't worry about it. Well, you won't, will you? But if you're worried or concerned, then God has his finger on you. And he's getting you on his elevator. And the way up is the way down. 
And God's going to give us anointings, empowerments, blessings, favors in all our areas of life and work. And there's going to be a power behind you. God's going to be with you. Things are going to happen because God's going to make them happen. You won't have to pretend that God has made them happen. There'll be demonstrations. Remember, those people that God, that Jesus chose, he picked. Those that he wanted, he took them up. They had that mountain experience that I've been trying to somehow prophetically relay to you in some small way, but they didn't stay up there. This wasn't some rarefied group. This wasn't a bunch of monks that built a monastery up in the mountains. Some of them did that, you know. Build a monastery up in the mountains. Why? Because we don't want to be with all the dirty sinners down there. So they build a monastery. No, it wasn't that. He took them up so that he could take them down. God wants to take you up so that he can take you down into the dirty world with an anointing and a power to deliver people, heal people, love people, release people, cause kingdom power to be there. It's not about some position being exalted. Everyone that is exalted on the mountain with the Lord is then sent down to wash the feet of dirty humanity. Let's stand together. And, uh, amen. Let's stand together. This is for everyone that hears what the Spirit is saying. It is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But you know, you can ascend, humble yourself before the Lord, understand that the difficulties, some of the difficulties that you are facing are God's plan for a new anointing. Not all of them. You'll have to ask for discernment. Some things you need to be delivered from. Some things you need a breakthrough. But other things, it's what's going to empower you. God will show you and God will show you these things if you're ready and you can ascend. And one of the wonderful ways that we can ascend, where's the, uh, the band? If they could come straight away, please. One of the ways that we can just uh, respond right now is by worshipping the Lord. I'm sure when they're on that mountain, it must have been beautiful. You can elevate yourself spiritually into the presence of the Lord just by simple worship. And we're going to do that. We're just going to worship the Lord. I've asked them to turn the, 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 the speakers down a little bit tonight now so that we can hear the congregation a little bit more, a bit more congregation voices tonight. Just feel led that way. So if you've got a very good voice, blend in with the others. If you've got a very bad voice, blend even more with the others because this is congregation. But we want to hear God's children's voices. So we'll give the drum a rest to begin with. And, uh, but we're going to worship him. So respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now and, uh, and let's begin to worship him and we'll come to ministry. But right now the ministry is ascending to the Lord in worship.